Al-Bayan Radio presents an explanation of Kitab al-Iman from Sahih Muslim presented by Sheikh Muhammad Duar. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man ihtada bihuda amma ba'd. My dearly respected brothers and sisters, we continue bi-idhnillahi ta'ala as you are aware with the sharh of Kitabul Iman from Sahih Muslim. And this chapter is titled The Command to Believe in Allah Azza wa Jal and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the laws of Islam. The Command to Believe in Allah his messenger, and the laws of Islam, calling people to it, asking about it, memorizing it, and conveying it to those who have not heard the message. And under this title, or this chapter, Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, mentions a number of narrations. The first one, is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma the great companion who said that a delegation of Abdul Qais delegation meaning a group of men of Abdul Qais came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said to him Ya Rasulullah, verily, ours is a tribe of Rabi'ah, meaning we are from the tribe of Rabi'ah. And there stands between you and us the disbelievers of Mudar. So these group of men are telling the Prophet ﷺ, we come from the tribe of Rabi'ah. But for us to reach you, Ya Rasulullah between us and you, there is the kuffar of Mudar, another tribe. And we do not find freedom to come to you except in the sacred month. They're telling Rasulullah we don't have the freedom to come to you here in Medina except through or in the sacred months. So they said to the Prophet ﷺ, direct us to an action which we should ourselves perform and invite those who live besides us. So they're asking the Prophet ﷺ to teach us something that we can do and that we can invite those that are in our land or besides us to also do it. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, I command you to do four things and I prohibit you against four things. The four things which you are commanded to do are to believe in Allah and then he explained it for them. And he said, to testify to La ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah and to perform the prayer, to pay the zakat, and that you pay the khumus, 
which is the one-fifth of the spoils of war. He then said, and I prohibit you to use round gourd and wine jars and wooden pots or skins for wine. Khalaf ibn Hisham then said, he made this addition in his narration to testify to la ilaha illallah and then he pointed with his finger to the oneness of the Lord. That was in the narration of Hisham. That he pointed with his finger to the oneness of the Lord. The next narration, Abu Jamra reported, and he said, I was, in, I was an interpreter between Abdullah ibn Abbas and the people. That a woman happened to come there and asked about Nabith. And we will explain. Or the pitcher of wine. A lady asked Ibn Abbas about Nabith or the pitcher of wine. And then he mentioned that a delegation of the people of Abdul Qais came to the Messenger wasallam, And then he mentioned the same hadith. Then in the next narration, he says the Imam Muslim said there is another hadith narrated on the authority of Ibn Abbas. Narrated by Shu'ba, in which the Prophet said, I forbid you to prepare Nabith in gourd or hollowed blocks of wood or a varnished jar or receptacle. Ibn Mu'adh made this addition on the authority of his father that Rasulullah said to Ashaj of the tribe of Abdul Qais. So in this narration, one of those people in the delegation by the name of Ashaj, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, you have two qualities which Allah loves, forbearance and patience. So these narrations are all around the same hadith or the same story. And the hadith is about a group of people that came from this land to ask the Prophet ﷺ about matters of their religion and advice that they can take with them back to their land. The narrator of the hadith is Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, the great companion of Rasulullah ﷺ. He is the imam, the hujjah, the mufassir. And he is hibr al-ummah. He is the ink of this ummah, the ink of the nation, that's his nickname, because of the vast amount of knowledge that he had. And he is the cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Ibn Abbas was born before the hijrah by three years. Ibn Abbas was born before the hijrah by three years. So he was a very young Companion in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he migrated with his parents to Medina when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam conquered Mecca. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas and he said, Allahumma faqihu fi din wa allimhu at-ta'wil. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, O oh Allah, 
give this young boy understanding of the religion and teach him the tafsir, the meaning of the Qur'an. Another dua from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we know the Prophet sallallahu dua is answered. Anatwa ibn Abbas was one of the greatest companions in knowledge, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. And because of his vast knowledge, even though he was a young man, Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, during his khilafah, when Umar was Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar would allow Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, to sit with Umar and with the Sahaba that remained from the Battle of Badr. And remember, the Sahaba of Badr are the greatest companions. And by the time Umar ibn al-Khattab was the Khalifa, radiyallahu anhu, most of the Sahaba of Badr had gotten old or older. And these were considered special gatherings. These are the gatherings Umar radiallahu anhu would sit with Kibar al-Sahaba, the big companions. And Umar would not allow anyone to sit. And it was not a matter of pride. It was a matter of these were the Sahaba that Islam was built upon. So Umar used to have times where he would sit with them because of how special they were, without a doubt. And in those gatherings, Umar radiallahu anhu would not allow others to sit. He would not even allow his own son, Abdullah ibn Umar. But Abdullah ibn Abbas, from how knowledgeable he was, Umar ibn al-Khattab used to allow him, even though he was a young man. So one day, the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, the companions of Badr, Jokingly, they asked Umar ibn al-Khattab. They said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, you don't let our kids sit in these gatherings, but you let Ibn Abbas. Why? So then Umar ibn al-Khattab wanted to teach him, radiallahu anhu, why he allows Ibn Abbas in these gatherings. So then, he asked them a question about the Qur'an. He said, Surah al-Nasr, the famous surah, he asked the big companions, he goes, why was it revealed? So some of them gave interpretation. Some said it, it was a promise from Allah Azza wa Jal for the Prophet Sallallahu for victory. Others said that it was an advice to the Prophet Sallallahu to increase in tasbih. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ And uh, they gave different meanings. Then he asked Abdullah ibn Abbas, who was much younger than all of them. And he said to him, why was Surah Al-Nasr revealed? So Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Surah Al-Nasr was one of the last suwar revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And it was an indication that he was going to meet Allah soon. And Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu said, that's why it was revealed. And that's why I allow Ibn Abbas in these gatherings. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, 
He was an ocean of knowledge. And he was titled the ink of this ummah. He was a teenager when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. Yani when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, he himself was still a teenager. And he himself passed away in the year 68 Hijri. So he lived a long life after the Prophet ﷺ, and he lived for 71 years. He lived for 71 years. So in this hadith, my brothers, the delegation, this group of people from Abdul Qais, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, between us and you, there is kuffar, the kuffar of mudar, and we can't come to you except in the sacred months. And the sacred months are four, as we know. And they are Dhul Qi'dah, Dhul Hijjah, Muharram and Rajab. They're the four sacred months. And what is meant by sacred is that they are sacred to Allah Azza wa Jal, and the Arabs, as Allah Azza wa Jal has commanded that fighting in these months is not allowed, the Arabs used to respect that. And that's why they said, we can only come to you in the sacred months. So that's an indication that they used to be at war with these disbelieving tribe. The Prophet ﷺ ordered them four things and he prohibited them from four things. The four things that he prohibited them from were actual utensils and containers that you drink from. And the reason for that was because they turn drink into alcohol in a quicker process. That's basically in a nutshell. They fasten the intoxication of the drink. And we will explain that inshallah. So this hadith, there's a number of lessons that we take from it. And from the greatest lessons we benefit from this hadith is that it is a clear proof used as a dalil to show that actions are part of Iman. Actions are part of Iman. We've mentioned this many times before. Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah, they include actions to be from Iman. The people of innovation such as the murji'ah, they say no, actions are not from Iman. How do we know from this hadith that actions are part of Iman? Because the Prophet ﷺ said, I command you to believe in Allah. And then he explained the belief in Allah to be the shahada, the salah, and the zakat, and the spoils of war. These are all actions. And that's how he explained Iman in Allah. So that shows actions is from Iman. This is one of the many proofs to prove that point. Also from the lessons we take is that this delegation of the people of Abdul Qais, the Shurrah of the Sunnah, the explainers of the Sunnah, they say they were approximately 14 men. They were approximately 14 men and their elder... The oldest one from them was that man Al-Ashaj, who the Prophet ﷺ said, you have two qualities that Allah loves. The reason why they came to the Messenger ﷺ, what made this group of people come from their tribe to the Prophet 
The reason why they came is because there was a man by the name of Manqadh ibn Hiyan. Manqadh ibn Hiyan was from that tribe. Manqadh ibn Hiyan was from that tribe and he came to Medina with dates. Manqadh ibn Hiyan was from Abdul Qais. And he once came to Medina with dates to sell. And the Prophet ﷺ walked past him. And the Prophet ﷺ knew that he's not from Medina. This man is not from Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ began to speak to him. And that shows you the Prophet ﷺ, how he was. If he saw someone that he didn't know, he would approach them and take the opportunity of giving them da'wah. So he spoke to him, and then subhanallah, Manqadh radiyallahu anhu became a Muslim. When he became a Muslim, he learned Surah Al-Fatiha. After he learned Surah Al-Fatiha, the Prophet wasallam asked him about his tribe, where he comes from, and who their leaders are. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wrote a letter for Manqadh to give to his people, which is Abdul Qais. So when they received the letter, they came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to ask him about Iman and Deen. <coughs> look at the barakah, <coughs> look at the barakah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's da'wah. He met one man, asked him about his tribe, wrote a letter, and then the tribe sends a delegation coming to the Prophet ﷺ to ask him about Iman and their religion. They became Muslim. So this is the story behind this group or this tribe that came to the Prophet ﷺ. Rasulullah ﷺ said to them, I command you to do four things and I prohibit four things. So the four things that he commanded, the Prophet ﷺ said, I command you four things, but he actually mentioned five things. He said, I command you four things, but in that hadith, he actually mentioned five things. He mentioned the shahadatain, the salah, zakah, fasting Ramadan, and then he mentioned the spoils of war, that you give one-fifth of the spoils of war to Allah and his messenger. The scholars gave a tafsir of this. They said that the Prophet ﷺ really he commanded four things. And the fifth, which is the spoils of war, he just added it at the end. So he really ordered the four, which is the shahadatain, the salah, the zakat, and the sawm. But then after it, he said, and I also command you one-fifth of the spoils of war and the reason why the prophet sallallahu added the spoils of war in particular to them is because they were from a land where there was an enemy they said it to the prophet we can only come to you in the sacred month because us and you there is the tribe of mudar the kuffar so because the prophet knew that they're at war he reminded them that whatever you gain from the spoils, one-fifth is for Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
In this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ didn't mention Hajj. He said, I order you four things. And he mentioned the four pillars, but he didn't mention Hajj. The scholars said, because at that time, Hajj was not yet obligatory. Hajj was not yet obligatory. We also benefit from this hadith, as we mentioned, that actions are part of Iman, since the Prophet ﷺ included the salah and zakah and fasting to be part of Iman. And this is a proof that the actions of the limbs are from Iman, as opposed to the murji'ah who said Iman is only belief in the heart. The hadith is also proof that Iman also consists of sayings. And that's the aqeed of Ahl sunnah Iman is sayings, belief and actions. Because he mentioned Iman here also to be the shahada, which is something that you utter. And the Prophet ﷺ explained Iman in this hadith the same way he explained Islam in the hadith of Jibreel. Pay attention. Remember the famous hadith of Jibreel? When Jibreel asked the Prophet ﷺ, what is Islam? He answered with what? The pillars of Islam. Here, he said Iman is the pillars of Islam. And that's to show you that Islam and Iman are the same. They work. Hand in hand. And the hadith is also a proof that every mu'min is a Muslim. But not every Muslim is a mu'min as we have mentioned before. To be a mu'min, it's a higher level than being a Muslim only. The hadith, we also benefit that the spoils of war, it is obligatory for one-fifth to be for Allah and His Messenger, even if the Imam is not fighting in the army. Because the Prophet ﷺ told them the spoils of war, you have to give one-fifth. Even though him who is the Imam, Rasulullah ﷺ, he was not fighting in that particular army. We benefit from this hadith also the four things that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited and the prohibition of al-intibad from them. And what is intibad? Intibad is the making of nabid. And nabid is a drink. When something like dates and water is left in a container and then it is drank as a drink before it becomes an intoxicant. If you get dates and water and you put it in a container, you got a container, you put it with water and you add dates to it and you leave it for a period of time, that's nabid. But if you leave it long enough, it becomes an intoxicant and then it's haram. But to drink it before it becomes an intoxicant is halal. It's allowed. And that's called nabid. Okay, in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he prohibited them from doing nabid in those four types of containers, which he mentioned. Why? Because these containers, they quicken the process of intoxication. They make the nabid become intoxicating quicker than 
other containers and utensils. And the scholars of Islam, they differed whether these four containers remain haram or not. The ulama, there's a khilaf. Are we still prohibited from drinking from those four containers or not? Some scholars said this ruling is mansukh. It is abrogated, meaning that ruling of them being haram no longer applies because there is a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, I forbade you drinks except from skin vessels. Yani I only allowed you to drink from skin vessels, but now you can drink from any vessel, but do not drink intoxicants. So this hadith here, some of the ulama said, it abrogated the other hadith. So it's okay to drink from any utensil, as long as your drink doesn't turn into an intoxicant. And this is what many of the scholars yani, lent towards. And some of the ulama said, regardless if it's mansukh or not, the tahrim is for the intoxication. As long as the person avoids all types of intoxication, inshallah he is safe. Regarding the second narration, we benefit also from it that you ask about a person's name who is seeking something. Because when the delegation of Abdul Qais came to the Prophet ﷺ in the second narration, he asked them, who are you and what's your name? They're coming to seek something from the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ asked them for their names or what their name is. And that shows you the Prophet's manners. That it's nice to know the people that you're talking to. It also teaches us being generous before knowing the reason for what the person came to seek. To be generous and kind and well-mannered before you know what the person is coming to ask you for. The Prophet ﷺ in the second narration, he commanded them to memorize what is obligatory upon them to know from their religion. After he mentioned the four things he ordered, he said to them, memorize it. And that shows you the encouragement of learning your deen and memorizing what you must memorize. Because he taught them the fundamentals, the shahada, the salah, the zakat, the salm, and the spoils of war for them. And he told them, memorize it. And that's an encouragement for us, my brothers, especially those who take knowledge seriously, that you must memorize what requires to be memorized. This is very important to be a true student of knowledge and seek knowledge. You must write, you must listen with an open mind, an open heart, you must avoid sins, and you must try your best to memorize. This is what it means to be a student of knowledge, a true student of knowledge in Islam. We also benefit that the companion, Al-Ashaj, his name is Al-Munzir. Al-Munzir, 
Al-Asri. That was his name. And he's the one the Prophet ﷺ said to him, you have two qualities that Allah loves. Forbearance, hilm, and patience, anat. And subhanAllah, if Allah loves those two qualities, we should strive to have them. Hilm is forbearance. Yani, yani being forbearing towards your Muslim brothers and your sisters, not being harsh, not losing your temper on them quickly. That you are patient even with some of the difficulties that you face from your brothers and your sisters. This is a quality Allah loves. The hadith also affirms the attribute of mahabba for Allah. Allah has the attribute of love. Because the Prophet ﷺ said to Al-Ashaj, you have two qualities that Allah loves. So that means one of Allah's attributes is that he loves. Mahabba is one of his attributes in a manner that suits his majesty. The people of innovation, they misinterpreted this attribute. And they denied Allah's Mahabba, such as the Mu'tazila and the Ash'aris and others. They said Allah's Mahabba, Allah's love, does not mean love, but rather it is his reward or his will to bless. So they've misinterpreted the attribute. They said Allah's love is not a real love, but rather what love for Allah means. When Allah loves something, it means his reward for it or his will to bless. And this is falsehood. They did not affirm the attribute as it should be because they claimed that affirming it obligates comparing Allah to the creation. And that's why they misinterpret all of Allah's names and attributes, or most of them. If you ask them, why do you not affirm Allah's love? They tell you, because if we affirm the love literally, then that means we are comparing Allah to the creation, because the creation also loves. So if we affirm Allah loving, then that means we are comparing Him to the creation. And even with what they say, it falls back on them. Because they claim that Allah's love means his will. His will to bless. His irada. So subhanallah, look how Ahl-Sunnah corners them. Ahl-Sunnah asks them, Allah says he loves. Do you affirm that attribute literally? They say no. Allah does not love. It's not an attribute of Allah, literally. Okay, what does it mean? It means his will to reward. So then Ahl-Sunnah asks them, why did you misinterpret it? Why did you change it from its literal meaning to his will to reward? They say, because the creation loves, so if we affirm it for Allah, then we are comparing Allah to the creation. So Ahl-Sunnah then replies to them, but you changed it from love to his will. And the creation also has a will. The creation also has a will. Do we not? We have a will. So what they're running away from, they're falling into. But then what do they say to that? They say, yeah, but Allah's will and the creation's will is not the same. 
So Ahlul Sunnah says to them, just like you say that about the will, say it about the love. His love and our love is not the same. So this shows you the misguidance of the people of innovation. Insha'Allah in our next lesson, we will continue with the next hadith in this chapter. Bi'ithnillahi ta'ala, wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam, wa barak ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.